0: Matthew chapter 8, we're going to look at a series of verses in chapter 8 and then we'll also look at some verses in chapter 9. And so if you have the copy of the Bible in front of you or you have the Bible on your phone or your iPad, be sure and open that up. Um, as well as when we get to the verses, they'll be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Hey, let me uh, give you a heads up uh, here at the beginning, wanting to keep our focus obviously today right where we are right now, but also thinking about, about next week. I want you to really save the date if you can be here next week, if you're not traveling on vacation or anything like that. Next week at 11.45 a.m., so immediately after the morning worship service, we have what is called Discover Emmaus. Um, Discover Emmaus is offered several times during the year, and it is a free, no-obligation lunch. You're not signing up for anything. You're not committing yourself to anything. This is just the next step. If you're a guest here at Emmaus, and you're curious, hey, what's going on at the church? What does it look like to get connected, to get involved? What would this be like? You can meet staff, you can ask questions. We'll kind of lay out where we are as a church. And so next Sunday, we would love for you to be a part of that lunch. Even if today is your first Sunday, and you think, hey, this would be a perfect chance to find out if this is the right fit. Maybe you've attended for several months, and you're wondering, what do I do next? Next Sunday is is a great opportunity. The best way to let us know that you're coming to that lunch is if you'll take that little card in the seat back in front of you that was mentioned earlier or tear out that uh, little tear out on the side of your bulletin. At the end of the service, after the sermon, we will stand up and sing a final psalm together. And during that final psalm, we will take up our offering. And when that offering plate comes around, just put that card in there and write lunch on it and we'll know to get your family signed up to be a part of that next Sunday. So we would love for you uh, to be a part of that, or you could email me during the week, whatever that looks like, but you'll be able to do that when the offering plate comes around at the end. Also, next Sunday, one of my favorite times during the year is at five o'clock next Sunday night, our kids and our teenagers are going to be sharing about how God's been at work in their lives during the month of June with Vacation Bible School, Falls Creek, super summer, kids camp. We've had a lot of things going on in the month of June. Next Sunday night, 5 o'clock, they're going to be sharing about God's work in their lives, what's happened during the summer. And then immediately after that service, we have our summer church picnic. Uh, Good chance it will be about 103 degrees. (laughs) You know how this works. But we will have a lot of fun. Uh, So the church will provide drinks and hamburgers or hot dogs or both. You'll bring desserts, sides, it'll be a great chance. This is a perfect opportunity if you're looking to connect with people, meet some people at Emmaus that you haven't met already. Here's some more that's going on in our church next Sunday night. I hope you'll commit to be a part of that, um, especially if you're a guest. Don't feel like I have to be a member to come to that. This would be a great chance to hear more, uh, more about the church. So wanted you to know about that. Prepare your heart for the end of the sermon today that when we stand and sing together, that's going to be a chance you can come for prayer, but it's also a chance you can put that card in the offering plate as a commitment of kind of what God's doing in your life. Here's what I like to do for us. I know at this time, dog days of summer, we bring a lot of tiredness into the room. We bring a lot of things into the room. I just want to pray a blessing over us as a church, and then we are going to jump into study of God's word in the book of Matthew. Let's pray together right now. Take a deep breath together, slow our hearts down, our minds down. Father, I know I've already talked to uh, a lot of people this morning who admitted they didn't sleep particularly well last night or it's been a long week, uh, maybe a lot of emotional pain going on in their family right now, a lot on their heart about what's coming up this week. God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of of a worship gathering like this our lives move fast we face a lot of things but God it's in moments like this your grace comes and reminds us of the power of your word the hope we have through the resurrection the gift of gathering as part of the church and so God in these moments as we study scripture would you speak to our hearts remind us what it means to truly follow Jesus God thank you Thank you that we gather in the name of Jesus because of the hope that we have through him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this last week uh, was our kids' third grade through sixth grade camp down in Texas. You can see I've got my camp t-shirt on. Uh, about Camper Shark. And so uh, this is one of my favorite t-shirts from the week. Now, I need to be clear. I was at camp for 24 hours. Uh, Most of the volunteers were at camp all week. Uh, And so they're the ones who really look tired this morning. And I really prayed for this morning because of the tiredness. And so I was at camp and just amazed at the experience that the kids have there. But as I was at camp, I was simultaneously studying and preparing for this morning about what it means to follow Jesus. And there were many times at camp I thought, wow, could even Jesus get these kids to follow him around camp? Like, so you're going from one activity to the next and you're like, okay, kids, follow me. And you walk a few steps and you turn around and who's not with you? The kids that you said to follow me, like they've gotten distracted and chased a squirrel not a metaphorical squirrel, a literal squirrel, um, and they've chased the squirrel or they turned to talk to their friend or they've tied their shoe for the 20th time and you're like, or they've gotten sick to their stomach and you've got to run around. and, and All these things that go on about how do we get somebody, kids, to follow a leader? Well, there's a bigger question we have to answer. What does it look like for us to follow Jesus? This phrase, follow me, that in a lot of ways encapsulates Christianity, comes in these chapters in Matthew. So this morning, what we're trying to answer is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? You can try to get a kid to follow a camp counselor, that's one thing. But this morning, the question we want to ask is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? If you're here this morning, and you are not a follower of Jesus, or you're confused about the term Christian, I hope this morning is very helpful for you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I hope this morning is a reminder about what it truly means to follow Jesus, what that looks like in our lives. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Let's start there. We're going to look at a couple of different places here where this idea of follow me comes up. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, He gave orders to go over to the other side. The term crowd in the Gospels is an important important term because a lot of times it has the idea of this group of people that are loosely connected with Jesus, but they have not yet committed to him. And so when it says here that when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side— That doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus had social anxiety like I do and just trying to get away from the crowd. It's not necessarily like that. Um, It seems like that these people were pressing in on Jesus, and so he is trying to get away. There's, There's a sense in which that is true, but don't miss this. When Jesus here is drawing away from the crowd and he's taking the disciples with him, there's also a picture of discipleship that he's beginning to lay out because he's going to talk to them about what it truly means to follow him. So when he says that he is drawing away from the crowd, those who are just loosely connected, who are just there for the free bread and the free fish, or the free pizza, whatever it might have been, this crowd, Jesus is drawing away, he's making a point about what it means to truly follow him. That the one who has authority to forgive sins, The one who has authority to heal diseases is also the same one who has authority to say, follow me. And so when it happens in verse 18 that he gave orders, there's a sense of authority that goes with the phrase, he gave orders. He gave orders to go over or to get away to the other side. He's saying this is what it's going to look like to follow me. Verse 19, so we're taken away from the crowd. It's not just about hanging around with the most people. It's about following Jesus. Verse 19, so a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now there's a little bit, Matthew, who's writing this gospel here, is making a little bit of a play on words because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of chapter 7, if you look back in your phone or in your Bible, it's not up on the screen, but if you got it in front of you, It says there at the end of chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 28, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, verse 29 of chapter 7, for he was teaching them, notice the word teaching, he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So when you get to chapter 8, verse 19, you have this scribe who comes up to him and says, teacher, he recognizes something in Jesus that is different than he has, a different power, a different authority, a different teaching. He says, teacher, I will follow you. I will get away with you wherever you go. Now, there's a certain fear when you go someplace and a person just immediately latches onto you. Uh, so as a pastor or at a new job, when you go someplace and the person just immediately latches on and says, I'll be your best friend forever, like that's this like red flag, this, this sign that says, oh, be very afraid of, of that situation because it's this really short, quick commitment that often they want something from you as opposed to really being connected to what's, to what's going on. It's probably that idea that's happening with this scribe. Here's the way this worked. In the ancient world, especially the time of Jesus, someone who was learning, who wanted to be a teacher, would get connected to a rabbi or a teacher and begin to follow them around. You would seek after someone that you were going to follow around. You would follow them around for a while, and especially, here's the key, you wanted to follow around whoever was most popular so that you then could get a good teaching position, so that you could be connected to the right people, often for your own benefit, for your own stability. This is free agency, ancient world style. (laughs) So here these guys are, they're free agents, and they're trying to figure out what team What rabbi to get connected to? And so they're shopping around saying, who do I want to be connected with? Who do I want to play on their team? And they see this guy, Jesus, who's really popular. And they're like, oh, I should go with him. Wherever he goes, I want to go there. Not because I want to follow him forever, but because I want what he can give me. The stability, the popularity, the success that he can give me, I want that. And so the scribe is kind of latching on here. What does Jesus say in verse 20? Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This was not at all what this scribe would have expected. He would have expected, yeah, come with me. This will be great. Connect." That's not what Jesus says because here's the key. Jesus wants him to count the cost If you're really going to follow me, if you're really going to be one of my disciples, you need to understand up front what that means. Where we're going, there is no popularity. Where we're going, there is no stability and success by the ways of the world. Where we're going, you may not always have a home. You need to know what you're getting into. And so what that reminds us is that when we're speaking to people about what it means to be a follower of Jesus... We don't want to overcomplicate it. But at the same time, we want to be very clear what we're asking someone to consider. That this is giving up stability, popularity, success of this world, to turn away from that and to commit myself to Jesus. And so sometimes in the church, and I know I'm painting with a broad, a broad brush here, so, so go with me for a second. I want to be careful about this. But sometimes in the American church, We've been so obsessed with getting more people to sign up for our game, for our thing that we're doing, that we haven't made it clear the cost that's involved in following Jesus. That this is a big deal. Jesus is not just someone that you add onto your life and continue to live the same way you did before. When people were talking about following Jesus, he said, you need to consider the cost. You need to realize that foxes have their holes and birds have their nests but if you follow me, there's not going to be that same popularity. There's not going to be that same stability. Now, there's going to be a million other good things that go with it, but it may not be things that you can count and see right now. So Jesus says this to this man. Now, let me say something before we go past this verse. Before we go past here. This doesn't mean that Jesus is saying having a home is a bad thing, okay? Okay? Because Jesus is going to minister in homes, we know that Peter has a home, we know that the early church started in homes. This is not saying that having a home base or home stability is a bad thing. The problem is, is when holding on to that home is more important than following Jesus. So what Jesus does, he's not telling you that you have to be homeless if you're going to follow him, he's saying he's redefining the purpose of your home. That's what I was trying to say. He's not saying that being homeless is equaling to follow him. He's redefining the purpose of your home, why you have your home. I'm not living for the things of this world. If I have a home, it's in order to point other people to him. That's what Jesus is doing with this call, not living for the things of the world. Okay, look at verse 21. So here's a second guy that says, all right, I can do better. Verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Lord... Let me first go and bury my father. Seems like a valid request. Lord, I'll follow you, sure, but first let me go and bury my father. Now, there's a possibility here that in fact his father has died very recently and he's in charge. It was commanded by the law that you take care of your family, that you do this. There's, there's a chance that that's happening. However, it is more likely In this situation, that this man's father has not died yet. That what is happening here is he is telling Jesus, I need to wait. I need to take care of some things with my family. I'm going to delay following you until this has happened. Uh, There's a man named Kenneth Bailey who's done a lot of research related to living in this part of the world and what it would have looked like in the ancient world. And he says this phrase here, let me go and bury my father, it was talking about something that would often happen in the future. So what's this man saying to Jesus? He's saying, sure, I'll follow you, but not right now. I have some things I need to take care of. Well, guess what? That reality is deep in the heart of all of us. God, I'll follow you, but just let me get through high school first. Or, you know, let me have my fun in college, and then I'll follow you. God, we just got married. I know it would be important to be connected to church, but when kids come around, then things will be easier, said no one who has ever had kids before. (laughs) Oh, we have kids. This is really hard. When the kids get a little bit older, then we'll start to follow you. Oh, yeah, that really gets easier. Uh, oh, yeah, the kids, are, the kids are older. When the kids get in high school, then we'll make sure they get connected to the youth group. Okay, that was hard. When the kids are out of the house, man, then we're really going to get, do you see how this works? You know how this works because you know it in your own heart, and I know it in my own heart. God, we'll follow you when the time is right for us, and you continue to put it off, you put it off, you put it off, you delay it. And in this situation, the man is delaying it, for what is a very good reason? This idea of, God, I need to care for my family right here, then, then I'll be a follower of Jesus later. Look at what Jesus says. Prepare yourself if you don't know this verse, because it, it's harsh. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, we realize that's, that's a harsh statement. We feel the, we feel the weight of that. What, what's Jesus doing here? Primarily, he's calling this man to immediate decision about what it means to follow him. He's saying commitment to me as the Savior of the world is more important than your commitment to your family right now. He's making a comparison. Now, there are many places in the Gospels Matthew chapter 15, Jesus on the cross as he's speaking about care for his mother. Jesus is not saying don't care for your family. So here's how. He's not saying that. But Jesus also multiple times in his ministry will say that allegiance to him overwhelms allegiance to your biological family right here, that primarily we are called to follow him. And so what that does is, is it redefines how we understand family that we're not going to live just for right now for these family relationships, that Jesus transforms those relationships. And lest we say, oh, we would never let commitment to family overwhelm our relationship with the Lord. Ah, yes, but we do, don't we? Um, And it's usually not, hear me out, it's usually not us caring for parents or grandparents. That that is something that needs our attention. But how does it happen? It happens the flip way our commitment to our kids or our grandkids to their happiness and well-being becomes more important than our commitment to the Lord. And so when that happens, what our kids want to do, where they want to go, what's happening with them, that takes priority over pointing our kids to the Lord. So is Jesus saying to get rid of your family? No, he's not. But what is he doing? He's redefining how we think about family. When he is priority, when he is our Lord, it redefines the way we think about the relationships around us. We focus on him, and he leads us to to live this out. Okay, skip over to chapter 9. Skip over to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 9. We're looking at another place now where Jesus says, follow me. So the scribe wanted to follow, but he needed a home. The other disciple wanted to follow, but he had family responsibilities. Now watch what happens here in chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now this is fascinating, right? Because what did we find in chapter 8? we found someone who was called a scribe, so they were very religious, and we found someone who was even referred to as a disciple of Jesus, and they struggled with committing to follow Jesus because they had a lot to lose in terms of stature and popularity and religious standing. What do you see here? You see a tax collector. The tax collectors were looked down on. They were morally suspect. They took taxes and then they kept a little extra for themselves. They were not the most religious people. In fact, they were looked down on by the religious people. But how does Matthew respond? Jesus says, follow me, and he follows. This is one of the realities of growing up in uh, in Oklahoma or, or even the United States as a whole. Sometimes when you grow up in a church religious environment, it can be more difficult to understand what it truly means to abandon everything and follow Jesus, as opposed to if you've grown up in a situation where you come face to face with your sin, and you realize where you are, and Jesus says to follow him, you're like, okay, that's a clear break. I turn away from this, and I give myself to Jesus. We find here with Matthew a picture of someone who is being called away from his vocation, and and honestly, called away from a lot of money, probably, in this situation, but he finds in Jesus someone greater because he finds in Jesus one who is able to give anything that goes beyond worldly wealth, worldly standing, this worldly job. I'm willing to give up my job. I'm willing to give up my home. I'm willing to give up these family relationships because Jesus is worth it. What he provides, who he is, is worth anything that I would give up. And then you get to verse 10. What do you find from Jesus in verse 10? As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Here's a picture of people being uh, in fellowship with Jesus, who are considered sinners. They're considered outsiders. If they walked in here, we would take a second glance about what's going on. Look how the Pharisees respond to verse 11. When the Pharisees, remember these are the rule keepers. (laughs) These are the ones who have all the religious rules and make sure everyone else keeps them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? How would he have anything to do with those people? Verse 12, when Jesus heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Who is called to follow Jesus? Who is able to understand that? The person who thinks they have it all together? No. Because they're being asked to give up something they don't want to give up. They think they have it all together, so why would I follow after Jesus? Who is he calling to follow him? Those who know they don't have it all together. Those who know they need a savior. Those who know they need a friend. Those who know they're not in fellowship with God. Jesus is calling them and saying, I will will call you. And not calling them to stay in sin. This is key. Don't misunderstand these verses. Jesus is not calling them to stay in their same lifestyle. He's saying, I will come where you are, and I will show you another way. A way that leads to righteousness. Up here on the screen... I put a couple of verses, sorry, go back to that last slide, and then we'll jump ahead. Down at the bottom, several times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to righteousness. And it's fascinating to look at these places in the Sermon on the Mount that refer to righteousness, and then to think about what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus is redefining for the people what it means to be righteous. Are the righteous people the ones who keep all the man-made religious rules, or are the righteous people the ones who realize their sinful condition, repent and look to Jesus for a new way to live? What does it mean to be righteous? What does it mean to be made right with God? And Jesus is redefining for the people what this looks like. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We want to step back for a second and think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What does this look like? First off, Jesus is calling us away from certain things. Look at this list. Straight out of these verses, not just making these things up, but out of these verses in Matthew, what is Jesus calling us away from? The church word, the theology word here is repent. If the word repent doesn't mean anything to you or doesn't make sense to you, it's turn away from, go a different direction, move move away from that. So what's he calling us away from? One, fascination with a crowd. I have to fit in. I have to be popular. I don't want to get too close. Those crazy Christian people that are a little over the top with religion, I, I'm not that. I just want to be on the fringes. I'm okay with being associated with Jesus, but I'm really not a follower of Jesus. Jesus is calling us away from that type of living. He's calling away from this crowd mentality to understand what it means to follow him. He's calling us away from stability and short-term success. When we follow Jesus, we may not have that. We may not have that stability. We may not have that short-term success. He's calling away from family loyalties that overwhelm obedience to him or this idea of delays. Jesus, I'll follow you, and then we put our timeline on it as opposed to his. He's calling us away from job loyalties and sinful money. Is my commitment to my job overwhelming what it means for me to follow Jesus? He's calling us away from those things. He's calling us away from old systems of man-made religious boundaries and rules. Not away from scripture, not away from righteousness, but he's calling us away from a religion that says, ah, look at us, how great we are. We have it all together. And he's calling us to share the gospel with people. The good news that he has done for us what we can never do for ourselves. The good news that broken Sinful, hurting people are the ones that Jesus runs toward, the ones that he cares for. And so if we live our lives feeling like we have to keep up this good exterior, we're never truly going to understand what it means to follow Jesus. So we go away from those. That's the negative. We're turning away from that. Now the question is, what are we running toward? What does it mean to follow him? Well, the main thing is when we are talking about following Jesus, this is not this cultural Christianity. This is not this idea I'm just associated with church. This is the idea that I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I think our friends at Life Church use that language a lot. I couldn't remember where I first heard that language. I know it's language that's been around for a while. Um, but this idea that I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I know you know this, but let me remind you because it's come back to me recently. People in your life who may not give a rip about church, who may not give a rip about Christianity as a whole, are still fascinated by Jesus. And we want to be very clear that when we speak to people about things of faith, we're not calling them to sign up for our religious club. We are showing them how great Jesus is. Because the call is not to be associated with the term Christian that brings all this type of baggage. I'm not saying we get rid of the term. I'm just saying it brings a lot of baggage in our world. But what we are calling people to do is to follow Jesus. That's the call. That's what we're pointing people toward. And when we do that, it's a call that leads to hard storms. Look back in Matthew chapter 8. This is where we count the cost. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 23, the ones who got into the boat with Jesus, look what that got them. (laughs) When Jesus got into the boat, verse 23, his disciples followed him. Remember, Matthew is using real-life language to teach these discipleship principles, teach these lessons. So they got into the boat. This is good. They're associated with Jesus. Now they're following him. And behold, everything in life went great. No, of course, that's silly. We're trying to see the opposite of this. Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. So if I follow Jesus, where is that likely going to lead? Into a storm, most likely. It probably is not going to lead immediately to smooth sailing. So they got into this great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, in verse 25, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Okay, this is one of those cool places in Matthew's gospel where he he plays with words in a way that helps us understand what's happening. Notice there at the very end, obey him. Recognize his authority and follow him. What's Jesus doing here? He's giving them a picture where he says, even the winds and the waves, the things of the world obey me. If they obey me, what should you do? Obey me because I'm in control. Because I have this thing, this world that I created, there is peace, there's hope. If you follow Jesus, life will run into storms. And when the storms come, you do not have to be afraid because he commands the winds and the waves. He has everything under control. All right, go back to that list real quick. So what happens when I follow Jesus? It leads me into hard storms that he controls with peace so I don't have to be afraid. When I follow Jesus, it's going to lead me to hard people whom he loves with joy. We saw already, we read these verses earlier in in chapter 9 about following Jesus. Where do you follow Jesus to? Well, apparently it takes you to a party with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. So you can be like them, No. So you can go to where people are hurting and show them a way of righteousness. Um, My wife has all kinds of amazing abilities. One of her most amazing abilities is to attract strange, interesting people in grocery stores, convenience stores, malls, the general public. I have no idea. We laugh about this on end because... She can walk up to a, a grocery store and just the most random person will come and ask her the most random question. I'm like, how do you do that? Like, I, Some of you have the gift in life of attracting hard and interesting and strange people. Don't look at your spouse or anybody around you, but uh, you have the, the ability to do that. Don't see that as a negative thing. See that as a positive thing. That as followers of Jesus, we don't run away from hard people. We run toward those situations, not to live in sin, but to point people to another way. Um, I don't want to take away any stories from next Sunday night when people share about camp, um, and I want to limit the number of tears that I feel like crying at this point, but I'm just going to tell you a, a, just a quick little story um, if I don't cry and I make it through the story. But um, one of the things I was most reminded by this last week, being at kid's camp, just for that short time I was there, is that when you spend time um, around these kids, yeah, I'm not gonna make it very far. Um, when you spend time around these kids and you realize some of the hard situations they're coming from, um, and, and how a lot of times that explains behavior, it doesn't justify behavior, but it explains why people are you know, struggling. But when you see God's grace at work in their lives in those hard situations, and you see their hearts beginning to soften, and you see their, even the, their countenance begin to change, their attitude begin to change, and you see the gospel being worked out, it doesn't make you want to run away from that. It makes you want to run toward that. To say, God, we know that there are people that are hurting. There are people hurting your family. There are people hurting your neighborhood. There are people hurting your workplace. God calls us to hard people and hard places because he brings such good news. Good news that overcomes anything that we are facing in life because of the power of Jesus. And so our life will probably go into storms, and we will probably run into hard people. And guess what? There will be hard opponents. Jesus gets in these debates, and he speaks truth to these people. But I want you to see this final slide as we get ready to wrap up. The call to follow Jesus is a call to count the cost. If he's worth it, what is he calling us to give up? What is he calling us to turn away from? What are we so drawn to, so fascinated with, that it stands in the way of fully following Jesus? And if that question doesn't land quite right, let me flip it a little bit. Maybe this helps. Maybe this is a better question. What does Jesus want to redefine in my life so it's focused toward him and not focused toward me? What, what is he calling us away from a fascination with because it's overwhelming our need and our desire to, to follow him? One of the phrases we use at Emmaus that I think is really helpful in this regard is when we can learn to see things in life as great gifts but terrible gods, it changes the way we live. So in other words, your home that you live in is a great gift, but a terrible God. Your family, a great gift, but a terrible God. Your job, a great gift, hopefully, a great gift, but a terrible God. These things that God gives us for his glory, but they don't stand in the way of fully following Jesus. Okay, so we count the cost. Is Jesus worth it that I fully devote my life to him? If you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, that's the question you have to answer. Is he worth it? Am I willing to stand up in front of people and say, Yes, he is. I'm going to give my life to him. Is he worth it? So I count the cost. I celebrate the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And then that final part, I commit to the journey. Not short term commitment, but long term. God, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want to do with my family? Where are you going to take our church? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Count the cost celebrate the good news, commit to the journey. That's what we're being called to. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Here's the plan, Emmaus. Uh, I'm going to pray for us in just a minute. After I pray for us, we're going to stand up together and we're going to sing about God's grace. It'll be our final psalm together today. We'll dismiss immediately after that psalm. During this psalm, the offering plates will come around. Your commitment this morning might be I really need to get back connected to church. And so I'm going to sign up for that lunch next week. I need to get serious about my relationship with Jesus and so I need to pray with someone during this psalm. During this final psalm, friends, come to the front. This place is here for you to pray. Here for you to repent. Maybe you are being called away from some things that you need to give up in order to fully devote your life to Jesus. I'll be up here, Jim will be up here, Jeff will be up here, we'll have people up here to pray with you. God, we hear these verses where Jesus says, follow me. It's easy to see that in front of us on a piece of paper or on a video screen But it's completely different when it hits real life. And so we want to think carefully. We want to count the cost. God, there are probably people here this morning who have never committed their lives to Jesus, but they have counted the cost. They know what's involved. And God, I pray this morning that they would see Jesus as worth it. God, they would see him as the one who has authority over the universe, and he has authority over every one of our lives God, I pray that we would commit ourselves to following Jesus, that we would celebrate his good news, and that you would continue to transform our lives. God, thank you for your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.